HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Radio, radio for Young Farmers by Young Farmers, and my name is Severin, I'm coming to you today from the barn plug at Blue House Farm in Pescadero, California, where there is good reception, and I'm joined by Jamie from, wow, where are you in the world? <laughs> Al- Albuquerque, New Mexico. Albuquerque, New Mexico. Here too. Well, well, welcome to the show. Will you mind giving us a little introduction on how you are in Albuquerque and the projects that you run elsewhere? Sure. Um, well, uh, Rio Grande Community Farm is a 501c3 nonprofit. We uh, manage 50 of about 150 acres of um, public land, which is managed by the City of Albuquerque's um, Open Space Division. And we are a certified organic farm that does a number of programs, including a community garden. Um, we grow wildlife um, habitat and feed, as well as um, have a number of education programs and um, big community events like our annual maize maze. So Whoa. I'm very elevator. excited about this annual party. Tell, um, tell us a little bit how the project got started and then, and then how you – and why you came to be a part of it yourself. Well, um, (laughs) the farm has been around for quite some time now. Uh, When the city bought the land that we farm on um, in 1997, um, (laughs) so long before either of us were here, um, they uh, wanted to keep the the land preserved in its uh, agricultural conditions. Uh, All around us there had been... um, just around Albuquerque in general, there have been tons of you know, sprawl developments. And uh, the city bought the land, um, which has a history of uh, some of the most or some of the oldest continuous farming. Um, Ar- yeah, archaeologists think that this piece of land has been continually farmed 
for about 2,000 years, which is one of the oldest pieces in North America. So that's a, a really unique gem that we have being here in New Mexico, which is a historical narrative longer than, than most of the country has. And wow, so, yeah, I mean, you just uh, we do a whole bunch of stuff uh, with, you know, our neighbors and school children and yada yada um, <laughs> community members and mine. So, um, yeah, where do we go from here? And then how did you guys get involved? What was what drew you to the project? Sounds like the historical the the historical significance of the land and and the quality of of what has been going on there for so many years was a major attraction. What what else drew you to one of the agriculture? Um so I was I was going to graduate school here in the city. Um right after being a Peace Corps volunteer in rural Latin America. So I was really missing um, rural lifestyle, and I was missing also environmental education, which I had been um, doing as a Peace Corps volunteer. And so the farm at the time had a great opportunity to volunteer for school groups leading, leading field trips, and um, so that's how I first got started. Um, and it developed into a position for me, which was really exciting, and I've been enjoying. And for myself, uh, I found uh, the farm through AmeriCorps. They have had an AmeriCorps uh, volunteer program for a number of years, um, and so I joined the farm that way and just got interested in <clears throat> doing you know, a number of our community programs, namely the community garden, which is uh, one of the big uh, big projects that I'm undertaking or continuing with after I now that I've finished my year of service as a farm intern. So Nice. So you both wiggled in through the cracks. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And um let's just talk a little more about the um you know, that history, like the crops that were being grown there historically and your emphasis now on native plants and habitat plants and, and it sounds like native, like you're doing some native nursery or native seed growing. Um, um, you know, what, uh, and how that relates uh, to what's appropriate for the climate. That's <laughs> a great tie-in to, uh, uh, you know, a bigger issue that we are working with in, um, in New Mexico and in, in drought. Um, we have actually seen the... The majority of the field and a lot of farmland, um, I mean, in the country, but here in New Mexico and on our property, is uh, grown in cover crops, which typically aren't um, uh, particularly native, uh, and they're not necessarily drought adapted. I mean, we have there's almost or about 100 acres that the other farmer um, on the property manages that he grows in alfalfa and. Um, we we do grow a variety of different mixes um, with some native um, oats and stuff like that, but uh, you know that's something that we're still developing. Um, and there's a lot of initiatives that we're tangentially um, involved with, with you know seed swapping projects and that sort of thing. But um, we are still. Uh, behind the ball on uh, <laughs> getting a lot of the drought-adapted stuff going. Although um, our biggest uh, biggest success in that realm uh, has been uh, building up a seed bank of a drought-adapted corn um, stock, uh, which 
we have um, probably one of the bigger supplies of just because we've been growing it for a number of years, uh, and it's the Mexican June corn, which we actually used to plant our corn maize this year and uh, plan to do in the future, and that's um, basically the, the corn maize is our biggest fundraiser, but it doubles as a feed supply for the migrating sandhill cranes and uh, is just a great example of the success of, you know, regionally adapted crops. So uh, I think that's our biggest. It's, it's also a joke because it's a corn maize. Yeah. <laughs> that's okay, the that joke. was a bad joke. It's corn maize. Uh, so, so, so it's good that you're feeling. I mean, it's good that you're. I'm thankful that you're being so open about how, um, how challenging and ill prepared. How challenging is the drought, and how ill prepared we all are to really be facing it. But that the work, that there is work ahead, and that there is really interesting work in discovering drought resistant varieties and seeing contextually about what you can grow here or what grows in places that now have climates like what we're starting to have, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what do kids? What do kids say when they come to your spot? Like, what's their reaction? And do, do you feel like the little generation of young ones who are coming now are more kind of climate uh, literate than than say our generation was? You know, the kids are are really excited to um, see how food is grown and. Um, Bar none, I will ask them what what do we have what do we struggle with in New Mexico, and they they know that that we're having issues with water, and there there are a lot of really great educational resources here in here in New Mexico that teachers bring out to their classrooms and and um, great curriculum um, surrounding water and and climate change awareness, and um, I to speak as as a whole, you know, I, I know that. Um, that I'm interacting with environmental educators, so I, I'm not sure um, on a whole how, how to compare this generation to the next, but I'm, I'm hopeful and po um, optimistic about that. Well, and that they're being exposed to, to agriculture and people who are happy in agriculture and feeling like thriving and positive about agriculture. Um, probably it sets them up to make some conclusions about where they might put their own nice energy, which, of course, is my own not-so-secret mission in the world, is more farmers. But um, back to the, like, matrix of land. So this whole farm is is spread out over a bunch of um, city-owned property. How um, how does the city interact with you guys, and how does it... Um, how do they experience the benefits of agriculture um, in managing those, those properties? Well, um, there are a number of different benefits that um, the city yields that we all share just from <clears throat> putting this land in a farm farm use and keeping it in, in agricultural use. Um, the vistas that we have with the Sandia Mountains in the backdrop and the amount of wildlife, like I mentioned, this the migrating sandhill cranes, but we see coyotes and all sorts of songbirds and kestrels and just all manner of bird and beast um, are such are such benefits and such uh, resources that I don't um, that open space really values because you know that's they cater to <clears throat> you know visitors who want to go bird watching or 
just want to get out and enjoy a nice walk uh, that's not, you know, an <laughs> incredibly rigorous hike in the mountains or anything like that. Um, it's a really good um, first uh, encounter for a lot of folks, especially with, you know, the students that we bring out, even just for the, the corn maze. Um, the uh, the first time that people come out to the fields, they just fall in love with the place, and it's uh, it just keeping the keeping the green in the valley is uh, is a theme that we see here. And uh, there's a lot of agricultural heritage throughout New Mexico, but particularly within the the valley, north and south, both valleys of of Albuquerque. Um, Part of, part of our contract with the city is to have 25% of our land in um, production for for migrating wildlife, so various crops that um, cranes and and other birds um, eat during during their migration. So um, any anyone who's remotely interested in, in birding in Albuquerque immediately when I when I say um, the name of our site, they they know immediately. And um, I think it's it's a really beautiful and unique thing. Also, the the city maintains trails on on the land. So um, unlike farm and, and farms and privately held land, um, people are always out there walking, jogging, baby strollers, dog leashes. Um, so it's a really great thing to share um, with the community. Well, and, and I think that's a really important point in general to make as we were talking, say we had an audience of other cities, um, cities that maybe don't have yet a policy about their land use um, for abandoned land or for um, municipally owned or transportation or uh, uh, transportation district land, uh, to know that there's really compatible uses in agriculture, recreation, wildlife, water catchment, or whatever, um, yeah. groundwater. Uh, I think that that case needs to be made more broadly. I mean, just every, you know, not most cities I go to don't have that kind of uh, program going on. So you guys are really lucky to live in a town that, uh, sorry, a, a city that does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really is a blessing. I mean, um, there are numerous partnerships throughout Bernalillo County and even within the open space that do all of those things. Um, uh, another property in the South Valley, uh, Sanchez Farm, has some swales, and they do a lot of educational programs there as well um, with some um, you know, local growers and uh, educational groups. So it's, it is a pretty uh, good we, – we are blessed to have uh, supportive you know, city officials and, and administration and, and just partners that make us – make our work, you know, a lot more feasible and well received. So, so um, now I'm just gonna. I'm. I don't really know the answer that you're gonna give, but in in um, in Tucson, there's a very strong food bank uh, connection with the farms that are being run, and the food bank also has a kind of an informal distribution system that they do at the farmers markets for kind of homegrown and super small scale um, ag agricultural producers. Do you guys have any relationship with the food bank um, or kind of charity sector in your world in your work, or where does your food go? Yeah, we do have a relationship with food banks. Um, we usually it ends up. I couldn't give you like a stable figure, especially with <laughs> just the the impact of the drought this year. And uh, you know, I, I 
I think in the past it's been around 5%, um, is what Catherine was um, recalling. Uh, I think it fluctuates, but we definitely, um, we, we go to farmer's markets and give away the produce that doesn't sell to the food banks, and we, you know, donate B-grade quality produce um, on a weekly basis to the, there's a number of different food banks in Albuquerque, and uh, the whole, the whole um, network of farmers around the you know, middle Rio Grande corridor are pretty involved with that. And uh, so it's a pretty successful operation, similar to, I guess, I don't know about Tucson. Yeah, but. we'd love to be connected to with someone from, from Tucson to hear more about that and, and maybe potentials to expand um, our programs and relationships. Yeah, they're very cool. I, I would I would, I would really encourage you to go, go visit their farmer's market and see the scene because they had, you know, you can use your food stamps to buy um, fruit trees and native trees that are fruiting, and you could go there and you could buy from, you know, like 15 or more growers food that the food bank had bought and then redistribute. So I was very impressed with their with their model and just, like, absorbing and understanding um, the kind of needs of the community and then stepping up and kind of facilitating. And then basically all the food that doesn't sell through their little market goes to the food bank. So they're kind of using their nonprofit status and charitable, like the the neediness of their client base to um, fulfill needs for the broader community and for people who are maybe not in the charity category but who, you know, couldn't really benefit from fresh vegetables. Anyway, we don't have to talk more about Tucson during, since you're in Albuquerque, but <laughs> hey. uh, let's talk a little bit more, if you don't mind, um, about the drought and what you guys are like, how it feels, and 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 what you think about it, and when you talk and you're hoeing the long rows, what are you guys saying to each other, and and how do you, I don't know, what's the context for this for you? You know, um, I think a lot of farmers have, I I think uh, a lot of farmers in the Southwest have been. Uh, aware and sort of planning to some extent for what comes when the rains stop or when the temperatures get even higher than they already are. Um, here in Albuquerque, um, I think there have been a lot of uh, uh, sm- like small ac- efforts that need to collectivize uh, that haven't really caught up. I think the individual level actions have exceeded the progress that has happened on, you know, a, like a statewide level or a, the citywide level, even just with like the the conservancy district for the Middle Rio Grande, and um, just with the challenges of uh, updating and navigating water rights law. It's uh, <laughs> it's a challenge that is going to take everybody to come together to solve, and and I think some people, you know, the like for instance, the conservancy district um, and and others just are were caught off their feet um, just because you know we've always had it this way and even aware even with the awareness that there will come a day or would come a day when the deposits would run dry um, <laughs> the contingency plans just uh, weren't made well enough in advance and planned for. So. I I think it's um, especially difficult. Um, well, it's difficult for everyone to to understand um, New Mexico water rights. They're particularly 
tricky and um, convoluted. Can I say that? And um, and and then um, for for the greater public to understand and then take collective democratic action is is really challenging. But I think the drought has brought to light um, to to the general public how much um, we depend on on water and that that everyone's food source depends depends on water. So to, to have locally grown and um, hopefully more socially just food sources, um, we need to think about our, our water usage. And yeah, it's not so simple as that we all have to get in the ditch and dig the ditch, and that makes us all aware of our collective or kind of the commons of water in the way that the old Asikia system kind of ordered that conversation. I like how you frame that in terms of that, you know, how does, it, how does the complicated, highly networked, highly distracted population come together democratically to, um, to assign or address or make decisions? I feel like that goes, that goes for a lot of different natural resources. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, does your, when is your next maze, or has it already happened? Um, or what's 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 coming up for you right now in the season? What are you guys busy doing outside? Well, our our maze event is uh, an October a fall fall event, and actually this year we thought it wasn't going to be able to happen because of the drought. Um, we thought that the corn wasn't going to be impressive enough to to make a maze that would attract um, the the same level of, of traffic that we've had in the past. Um, but a few weeks before October, um, we we realized that we did have um, enough enough corn and sorghum next to the corn to make us a, a small maze, and it was really um, inspiring and and really I think gave a lot of us hope that so many people came out um, because it's a tradition for them and their families to come out. Um, because we definitely did not advertise this year like like years in the past, and so um, we added a few components, um, some a few educational and um, like family friendly events, and um, I think that that in the future um, that that's going to really add to what what the maze maze has been in the past. So. As far as big events go on our calendar, that's the biggest one for sure. Um, and we are working on some stuff for seasonal activities, like a big seasonal event uh, quarterly. But um, the next big uh, big day we'll be having at the farm is going to be, uh, we typically do the Martin Luther King Day of Service, so we're going to be having a bunch of folks out then. Um, so if anybody in Albuquerque is listening and wants to come out and treat it as a day on, as they say, um, We'll be doing a bunch of good projects. Um, we're right now just trying to weatherize, I suppose you could say, um, <clears throat> you know, just plan for having the same drought-related uh, water shortages in the future, next year and beyond. Um, so we're making a bunch of infrastructure upgrades, like at our community garden and in our crop plan. And so um, the the best, the next, Big thing that's happening is 
most likely going to be at the, the Volunteer Day on MLK Day. So, um, But stay tuned for more events as they are planned. Cool. Well, I um, I wanted to get one level more specific about how, like, what infrastructure upgrades are and, like, if any, what are your kind of crop changes that you're making? Or are you, you know, leaving more residues or trying to, you know, incorporate more by, um more organic material than you had been, or just a little bit of some specific clues sure. on your tactics. Sure. Well, you know, we actually have been a little antiquated and sort of in the same boat with a bunch of other irrigators in our area with using uh, the ancient technology of flood irrigation, uh, primarily at our community garden, but also in some of our crop fields, um, for the production farm. And uh, so we are going to be implementing more. We have our production, primary production field has uh, like 14 acres, and it's all irrigated by uh, subsurface strip tape. But um, we're going to be putting that uh, similar similar infrastructure with, with strip tape and probably some um, more soil type um, uh, what's the word? Yeah, designs in uh, throughout the community garden. Uh, I think within our crop plan, I haven't gotten the latest look at it, but uh, we'll just be doing uh, more cover crop that is less uh, less thirsty, you know, um, and we hopefully will be able to get some more drought-adapted uh, cash crops in there with, with, you know, grains and that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, um, the biggest the biggest ones which have the most impact on you know the most people i think for us is going to be making the community garden uh more water efficient with drip irrigation and uh and some swales and that sort of thing as well as um getting some some more drought tolerant crops in the ground for cover cropping all right so there you have it from, from Albuquerque. I really highly recommend anybody who's thinking about drought stuff, and I'm sure you've already heard about it, but Gary Nobhan just published a book on growing uh, growing crops in a hotter, drier climate um, about kind of drought uh, drought methodologies, drought, drought proofing your world as much as possible, adapting. Um, and it's really good and it's illustrated. Um, has strong emphasis also for home gardeners and urban foresters. Um, so I really recommend that, and I recommend that people find you on your website, which they can click on in this, on our web. Any last shouts, or was that all? Hmm. MLK Day. MLK Day, should, that was it. We should have a nice send-off message prepared, but <laughs> I guess uh, it was real a pleasure, and uh, we appreciate you all thinking of us for your show and so we will keep you all posted and be in touch and we uh yeah we really appreciate the opportunity to have a little time on your radio show thank you so much Severin. thank you guys for all you do thank you all to you listeners too and talk to you next week bye bye take care thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org you can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. 
You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.